Welcome back to the Cult House Podcast. I'm your host, the scholar of spite and the Saturday Night Delight, Roger Riddell. Joining me today, he was bitten by a radioactive fountain pen as a child and gained the proportional speed, dexterity, and line strength that was held within it. I'm making this up as I go along. He is an artist for Marvel Comics and DC Comics. He has worked on such titles as Uncanny X-Men, Symbiote Spider-Man, Death of Wolverine, and Batman versus Bigby, a wolf in Gotham. He is Jay Leaston. How are you doing today, Jay? Doing good. How are you doing? Not too bad. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we chatted off and on by text, but it's been a while since we've seen each other in person. Yeah, yeah, because like last time I was in Kentucky, uh, we didn't even uh, do like the whole shawarma thing we usually do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's been a couple of years, I think. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too, man. Um, so yeah, I guess just to start out, a lot of your work is inking, uh, but you mm -hmm. know, a lot of people might not fully understand what an inker does. And I know that there's like the running joke uh, for years from uh, chasing Amy that you know you're just tracing other people's work. Uh, what exactly does being an inker entail? Well, it kind of varies. So like, it is everything from literally that joke all the way up to completely redrawing things at times just kind of depends on what the project is so like um if i'm working on something that's super tight pencils i'm really just kind of going in and adding a little bit of detail and like tweaking line weights and things like that that allow a little bit of separation either by texture or by line weight so in comics you have two ways to separate something that's putting two colors side by side that cause it to look like it's moving forward or you can make a thicker line around something that also makes it feel like it's moving forward. Um, you can also create interest by putting a dense pattern of lines together and things like that, um, that can also kind of cause that. Um, but the traditional way is the line weight itself. So it goes all the way from that end of the spectrum to what's called doing finishes, um, which I kind of enjoy, um, but it's a lot more complicated because at that point, someone's giving you a rough drawing where the costumes may or may not be in place. There may not be any hatching in place that indicates what you're supposed to do for light sources. There may be very little texture. In some cases, I've worked on projects where it's literally like add background here. Um, <clears throat> and those are called finishing, which is usually kind of an equal footing to being a penciler. Uh, you kind of switch roles in the process. Um, I kind of like something in the middle where I get to play around a little bit by adding texture, or adding drama by changing light sources or moving things around a little bit, um, but not so loose that there's not anything to work from. Um, it just kind of depends on the, the project and the kind of time that you have to. Um, it tends to be finishing projects take longer, but they don't necessarily give you more time. Um, so you kind of have to find that balance in between the two. Yeah, yeah, because I know that uh, inking is really kind of uh, 
it's one of those underappreciated roles in the comic world because uh, you know once you've seen uh i know i've seen like you know the the pre-inked pencil boards before whenever we've hung out mm -hmm. and things like that but um yeah a lot of people don't really see like those various stages of a project and you can kind of take for granted how much the inking adds to it and then how much more the colorist adds to it even after that oh yeah 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 color is infinitely more valuable than it was say in the 50s or the 60s even up till the 90s because it wasn't until the mid 90s where it started to actually have a real impact on depth of field and stuff it was literally just superman is blue 45 <laughs> they were putting in those colors and they were literally making color plates for the printer it wasn't it wasn't about painting superman's figure by by shading it and everything else um and that's like <clears throat> one of the biggest things now is like working as a team where as the inker and the colorist you're communicating some to know where the colorist's strengths lie and the inker's strengths lie because you can kind of work together to make a better product than you would independently and then also making sure that you're both on the same page and is where the light source is because i've had certain projects where like i'll be doing all the hatching and it's like this hatching on the cheek right it's all built up and it's it's a good shadow and then the colors is like but i need a hot highlight right here and they just blow it out um and so i try to communicate as much as possible with the colors to know like how we can work together um because otherwise like you both feel kind of frustrated. So I think it's important to have that team aspect to the colorist, the inker, and even the penciler in terms of making sure everybody's using their strongest skills. Yeah, you've got like a handful of pencilers that you've worked with uh, more frequently than others. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. with Greg Land, you're kind of like his go-to inker. Uh, how has sure. that kind of uh, evolved over the years? And how does that impact the process uh, as far as like you all really being extremely familiar with each other's uh strengths and abilities and what you bring to a project yeah it's his like he can just kind of focus on penciling and making sure the drawing's good and not have to worry so much about what i'm going to do anymore it's like not like he's got to go in and space all the hatching make sure it's perfect um he can pencil incredibly tightly but luckily now he doesn't really have to he can kind of indicate and i can just take over um that's not to say that he's like super loose by any means, his natural tendency is to be pretty tight. Um, but in terms of like adding all the grayscale stuff and like shading things here and there, or adding a texture in the background, like I've got plenty of room to do that now. Um, you know, Cause we've been, we've known each other for 30 years almost at this point and worked together for 18 or 19. So you build up a, a pretty good, sort of art conversation at that point where like we don't have to talk about each page before i start on it it's just kind of automatic and then if um i have a question it's super easy to just go to him and ask what i need uh, whereas with other guys it might be a little bit more intimidating maybe like hey i don't really understand what you drew here uh that i don't really have that with him it's like i, I know what you were going for here but i don't really know if i understand exactly what you mean by it we can kind of touch on those things and move on quick um because it doesn't doesn't take too long to build those kind of rapports usually, and if it's uh, like a weird conflict every now and then, like the penciler and the inker just don't mesh. Like I try and acknowledge that pretty early, and like and go, yeah, that's not gonna be the best plan. But we'll we'll go our separate ways. 
uh, because it's it's just better to not like put the penciler in a bad light because what I'm doing isn't working for them. Um, so I try and kind of see if I can figure out a solution for it. And if I can't, then we just talk through how to how to deal with it. Yeah, I feel like there's um there can be that kind of thing with uh between the art team and like the writers sometimes too, where uh, sometimes you see like an art team with a certain writer and it's really great. And then other times you can kind of tell uh, as a reader that maybe things weren't like uh, meshing as well as they could have. Sure. It's, it's hard to know. The, the hard thing from the fan perspective is where that is. Like, is it because there wasn't enough time? Is it because the script was like, it's a penciler or whatever that like can really only do like solo books? And they got like a team of like 50 characters they got to draw. You're putting that person in a real bad spot. Um, and so those are always tricky to navigate. Um, you know, the fans just kind of are like, that's that's not what I want. It's not what I hope for or whatever. Um, and sometimes it's just, it's the kayfabe thing where it's like, do you, do you explain all this and kind of ruin the magic? Or do you just kind of go, eh, the next project will be better. <laughs> I, I kind of tend to move that way yeah yeah and uh you broke in back uh i guess it was the 90s when you did your uh your apprenticeship with sylvestri wasn't it so kind of so in 97 98 at chicago like wizard world that's when i met all the wildstorm guys and the top cow guys and kind of started doing ghost ink assistant stuff through the mail um, so they would mail me pages and I would do like the panel borders and maybe fill in the blacks or I would do like the horizontal lines of bricks and then they would do the vertical lines. It was like really, really like minute little things here and there. Um, but it was an opportunity to sort of build up my chops. And then in 2000, I moved to LA to work in the studio full time. So yeah, um, it's kind of like that y2k transition period where i started doing work but it was through the mail and then on site in 2000 yeah what was it like getting to uh to learn from sylvestri and you know that whole group of guys uh especially you know just as being uh an x-men guy you know and like he was one mm -hmm. of the big x-men artists back in the day <laughs> yeah well, he was the x-men artist for me yeah like when i first started reading comics in like sixth and seventh grade is when he was transitioning from drawing the x-men to drawing wolverine and so like there was this like two-year backlog of his x-men books and getting the new wolverine books as they were coming out was just fantastic um because to me he's he's probably the the best artist of that era like just the way he draws is much more artistic it's much more flowy um, a lot more concerned with like making sure the layout is good and the page reads a certain way. Um, you know, there's other guys who you might say are more dynamic or had more like commercial appeal or whatever you want to say. Um, but overall, I think he was probably the best. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's kind of the way that I am uh, with McFarlane and Larson when it comes to Spider-Man right. stuff. Cause that's like, they define Spider-Man for me as a kid. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I got into McFarlane really with Spawn. Like for whatever reason, I got to Spider-Man after I got to the X-Men. So like by the time I started buying Spider-Man's, I think that was right as Larson took over. 
so that was what imprinted in me is like that, that spider-man and then when i went back and saw the todd stuff i was like this stuff is insane <laughs> it's like a totally different level of like bending the body around and doing all kinds of crazy stuff um it was super dynamic and i think he he really brought a lot to comics today um by doing spider-man the way he did at that time like being totally willing to bend the body in ways it doesn't work because he's spider-man you know just smart stuff yeah yeah i mean that whole group of guys who uh split off and started image really just kind of uh, redefined what you could do on the page of a comic book, uh, just as far as even the rules of the boxes and the panels and everything. Mm -hmm. A lot of breaking the panel structure stuff came from, not necessarily directly from those guys, but they really laid into it. Um, and then not being afraid to make a splash page to sell the book for one, but also use it as a storytelling element to make people pause and think yeah yeah i mean there's um there's guys back in the day that you can kind of see the early stages of that with where they were kind of testing the waters like ross andrews one that sticks out to me where he was messing around a little bit with the panel structure and using more splash pages and everything mm -hmm. and the next day that was like golden burn was fairly traditional with that but would occasionally do it um, and obviously art adams when he got there like that turned up even more from your time learning from Silvestri and the Wildstorm guys. Mm -hmm. uh, what were the lessons that you took away from that the most um, that kind of have influenced your approach to mentoring artists like Justin Mason and Anthony Fowler? Um, well, a lot of that was, you know, one of the things that Mark really kind of hammered on was <clears throat> that each generation was kind of responsible for educating the next generation of comic book artists. Um, and that didn't really matter, like if it was an inker helping a pencil or a pencil helping an inker, but none of that really mattered. Like um, any information you can give them improves the overall comic book world. Like there is the Kubert School and there are some programs for drawing comics, but for the most part, those aren't available to everybody and they aren't necessarily always the best path for everybody. Like some people aren't necessarily students, they're actors. You know, they, they just do what they do. Um, and if you can put the right information in front of them or expose them to something, then they can grow out of that rapidly. Like, I think I met Justin when he was 18 or 19. Like he came to a Lexington Comic-Con and it like his art teacher from high school like emailed me and was like, hey, I have this student from Corbin, Kentucky who is an amazing artist and he really wants to do comics, but he doesn't know how to do it. Doesn't really know what to do. So he just shows up and he's got this like binder full of drawings, some superhero stuff, some just life drawing, some just mixes of everything. And I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this guy's a great artist. He just doesn't know what to do with the information yet. Like he could draw a, you know, a very lifelike portrait of Muhammad Ali is the one thing I remember in there, like straight up, just like fantastic drawing. And then there were other like, comic book images where he was trying to draw a splash page or whatever and he might have little things that he was kind of struggling with because he was trying to come from this perspective of I know how to draw but how do I draw a comic book page um and it was really just a matter of going letting him know like, one you're a good enough artist that you'll make it but giving him the confidence to know that and then 
arming him with the tools, whether it was Will Eisner's storytelling books or um, getting him to go look at old Gil Kane comics or whatever to learn how to lay a page out from beginning to end so that he could tell a story from beginning to end in the appropriate number of panels. And you could just kind of see the gears turning like over time, like he kind of had like a two year window where it was just learning how to draw a page and he was trying to do it like photorealistic and everything's perfectly shaded and rendered and all this stuff. And then the next phase was, okay, well, I, I figured out that I like these comic book artists. So I'm gonna draw like them and so he would have like four or five pages that were kind of Dave Finch and three or four pages that were kind of J. Scott Campbell and three or four pages that were kind of Mike Mignola. And then over time, it just kind of all started to pull together into this thing that is him. It just took him a while to find that. Um, and now he's kind of starting to take off. He's getting some more work, getting some DC work. And it's one of those things where it feels like, <clears throat> same thing with him and Anthony Fowler, like two years ago, they probably could have been working, but there just wasn't a spot available thanks to COVID. Like there just wasn't that much work to be had. So the idea of getting to break in was kind of delayed. Um, so I'm glad that now post COVID, both of them are starting to like really get their foothold and, and get going on projects. Um, with Anthony, it's kind of been a little bit more hands-on because um, since he's working on trying to become an inker, I could kind of teach him specific skills. Like he could, he could already ink and he can, he can draw fairly well, but it was a matter of like not doing, okay, you did the lines that are there. Now, how do we layer upon that? How do we make it more artistic? How do we add that, that nuance, the, the subtle changes to the pencils that make it better? Um, and that just was going to take some time for him to, to get that piece together. Cause it wasn't, that he didn't know how to make the line. It was like, how do you make the line extra and just give it that little bit of juice or life that, brings the whole page together um and so um i actually paired both of them up for a little while they were working together on a project on like a small press thing um that came out like three or four years ago and i thought at that time both of them were probably going to take off and do it together um but just with the way the industry works it kind of can slow you down a bit like um when i met um bob shrek like 96 or 97 i was 18 years old 20 years old <clears throat> and he basically told me he's like you're ready today but someone else has to sort of fail or miss their deadline or there has to be a reason that they're looking for new talent there has to be something that causes them to say okay we can use a new person today um and i've tried to instill that in everybody that i've talked to that's kind of been working their way up to being a professional um it's not always when you're ready it's that you're ready when the opportunity arrives um, because nine times out of 10, when you're ready, it doesn't mean the industry is ready. You might have a style that doesn't fit for the modern day. Like that, that's totally possible. There's tons of pros that were amazing artists, but at the time when they were amazing, the industry wasn't ready for that because it might've been, you know, a phase of comics where re realism was really popular. So a cartoonist like Bruce Timm wasn't as popular or Bruce Timm's style is popular. So a guy like Brian Hitch is less popular. Like those things just kind of ebb and flow. And so you might be ready to draw comics when comics isn't ready for you. Um, that's the hardest thing to understand when you're breaking in because you're like, I know I'm good. Why am I not getting this opportunity? Um, and that part's just really tough. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, it's been really cool seeing Justin's style evolve over the years too. Because I first met him at a uh, New York Comic Con in 2016 when you all yeah. let me crash on the sofa in your hotel room, <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, I remember he did a sketch of Venom for me that I still have that I didn't mm -hmm. I even ask for because he's just like such a sweet dude. Like in yeah. retrospect, I, I used to troll the hell out of him over the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies just to get him to react. <laughs> and like, now I feel bad about it because he's such a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but he's got a good sense of humor. He took it in one stride. Yeah, like, and that's the thing is like, in the end, someone with a good heart like that is going to make it. Like, you just hope that, that they'll get jaded before they get their chance. Because... <laughs> You know, someday he's going to help someone else. That's what's important. Yeah. Um, so what's life been like without conventions uh, for the last couple of years? That's weird, isn't it? Like, um, I'm used to doing six or eight shows a year. It's kind of built into my schedule. And um, it, they kind of double as vacations that are also twice as much work as any regular day. Um, <clears throat> so like right as we went into COVID, I actually got really sick, went to a show in Dallas, got really sick and, and then went to CTV2. And that's like when the quarantine stuff started, it was like literally the week after CTV2. And you could tell things were different. Like there were, there were guys from Italy that weren't allowed to come to the show and just limitations on certain things. And it was like, okay, this is about to be different, like just completely different, but how? And um, so we started doing things virtually. Like um, I had a guy that would receive comics and then i would do a signing in person and he would like record as i went and did the signing and stuff like that so it was a little bit of the comic book convention experience of getting to sign books for fans and, and communicating a little bit but but not like it used to be it's much more um separated and like um i was kind of talking to him and i was hoping what we could do at one point was like do store signings where it's like virtual store signings. Like we're on a Zoom call like you and I are now and that person's on the other side and I'm signing the books for them and talking to them and I can take as much time as I want to talk to them, sign the books and then have them mail back to the store. Um, it was just too complicated to get that to work out. Like if, if someone had figured out how to do that right, I think they would have like created this virtual online comic book convention thing that, that would have really taken off. Um, because now going back to conventions with the limited attendance, um, wearing a mask and, you know, working with distance and everything else, it's, it's a little less personal than it used to be because I can't just sit at the table and sign and talk to somebody and they're like right here, we're having a conversation because we've sort of all adjusted to this, give me my six feet vibe. Um, that just makes it a little bit more formal like the two conventions I've been to so far, like we still get to have good conversations and there's not as many people so we can have longer conversations, but it's not as personal. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious as to how that's gonna go forward. Like, I don't think my next convention that I'm gonna do is until February with CTV2's next um, show, not the one in Christmas time. Um, and that'll be like the first big show and I'll kind of get to see what it's really like, but I just have no clue what, how it's going to have permanently changed the comic book show experience. Um, I don't know. Like, have you done anything like travel wise with that kind of stuff since nah. COVID? No, nah, I haven't even been to uh, back to Kentucky since like 
late 2019. Mm. I've basically existed within like a, uh, for the most part, within a five mile like radius. Although I went to a sure. wrestling show in Baltimore a few months ago. Yeah. It's like the, the biggest thing that I've gone to. Dude, was it, did you go to an AEW show or? No, it was uh, a Ring of Honor. Oh, cool. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep wanting to get back into wrestling because I love the storyline aspect of it and <clears throat> the sort of like real life superhero vibe. <clears throat> and I'm buddies with Daniel Warren Johnson and he talks about it constantly. And I keep like just kind of living vicariously through him um with that whole world um i think it's something i like i might go check out a couple of shows when we get to like real post-covid time um so that I can kind of uh, experience that again like my best friend growing up he was a huge wrestling fan we did that you know every couple of months we'd go to a wrestling show and uh it's a it's a great experience um especially as a comic fan i feel like there's a lot of crossover there that's kind of not totally disclosed, but sort of like the 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 male soap opera of, of both things. Like uh, we're, we're we're tough, but we're still having these super dramatic backstories, and like everybody's got beef with each other, and like all that stuff is uh, is kind of fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Like I've um I've done that, and then uh, I'm about to uh, go to a few metal shows coming up here, so I'll see how that is. They're they're requiring uh. You know the proof of vaccination masks and all that mm -hmm. which makes sense but uh i'm, I'm kind of hopeful that over the next year uh things will probably i think get a little bit more back to whatever normal is because mm -hmm. you know now they've got the the vaccines for pretty much all ages at this point and they're like developing treatments and stuff too so yeah uh, i think eventually you know a few years down the line we'll just look at this like it's the flu but uh it's still doesn't make it any less awful than it's been. <laughs> yeah. 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 We, we sort of um, ventured out. We, we did that louder than life show because <clears throat> um, we wanted to see Metallica. And like, I don't know if I'm going to get to see him again at any point. So I took that chance. And um, <clears throat> we ended up getting like the VIP passes and like hovering in areas where no one else was for a while. That there was a few exceptions. Like the first night of Metallica, we, we got in the crowd and just wore masks and everything. And, um they had some pretty good like safety checks and everything so i didn't feel like too freaked out about it but it was definitely different being in a crowd of a hundred thousand people shoulder to shoulder uh <laughs> after over two years of not doing that yeah uh, so i survived so i feel pretty good about it but um i was glad i got to do the experience one way or another yeah what was it like as a as a comic pro last year during like that that span of something like two or three months where diamond was kind of shut down and uh there weren't like new books coming out there for a while yeah um it was interesting for me like i was kind of one of the lucky ones in that marvel told me right away like don't worry you you have plenty of work like they even like gave me a project to to do pencils and inks from someone else's layouts at one point um, to make sure that I kept working. Um, so I know that was a different experience than some, um, but it was certainly unnerving like when Diamond kind of shut down, was, what, are, they, are they coming back or how are we gonna handle distribution going forward? Cause it was like now 
three potential distributors, <clears throat> which overall I think is probably healthy to have more than one, um, just because you reduce some supply chain problems and you keep competition in the industry in general because we only have one distributor. You only have one distributor and they can do whatever they want. Um, and that, that's a little unnerving to me. Um, but it was just interesting to see like conversations with other pros. Like it was like 50, 50, like half the people were like, Oh, this is it. This is the last straw we're done. This is over. And then the other half were like, this is an opportunity to kind of clean the slate and build new. Um, and it feels like we've done some of that. Like, it, I feel like this weird half step. Well, we did that, but we also did not do it. Um, in that there's new part, new distributors, but it's still like exclusivity models for the distribution, um, which means essentially there's only one distributor for Marvel, let's say, and one distributor for Image and one distributor for D DC. They may have other things as well, but we've kind of just separated into three monocultures instead of all the distributors offering all the product. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a weird business model, but uh, it seems like there's there's been a little bit of innovation in uh, just different ways to get stuff out there. Like I know you're working on a project on Substack. Uh, yeah. I'm not 100 percent sure what Substack is yet because uh, I haven't had time. To I don't really know that any of us are. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right now, like it kind of feels like this middle ground between like patreon kickstarter and all that and webtoon um and i did a webtoon project before and i really enjoyed that i thought it was a really cool way to do comics differently um and it did very well when we did outrage um so when the Substack thing came up i definitely wanted to do something with them um because i feel like whoever's pushing that envelope now is probably going to do something that will improve the industry overall like one way or another, how they're processing things will will change the industry in general. And at the moment, we have an opportunity to grow and to, to build new, like we just discussed about the distributor change. Um, and so I, I kind of want to see that from the inside a little bit by working with Substack. Um, I want to know what they see is the future of publishing versus what other publishers do and how the creators use that as a venue to do the projects they want to do, you know, from a creator own standpoint, from um, a work for hire standpoint, because um, I'm, I'm working on someone else's creator own project. So I'm a work for hire employee subcontractor, not necessarily the creator. So I, I'm seeing how to work with Substack, but not directly in, in that my contract is not with them. Um, that said, we keep things pretty transparent, so I kind of have a good idea of what's going on. Um, and I'm looking forward to that book. It's called The Terror War with Saladin Ahmed and uh, Dave Acosta. Um, Dave and I have done a bunch of Elvira covers together. Like, just I'm super into Elvira. I think she's a super <laughs> cool lady. And uh, in general, it's kind of a fun project to just kind of throw my hat in on. It started because there was an uh, Evil Dead versus Vampirella, not Vampirella. Yeah, there's Vampirella, Evil Dead, uh, Elvira, and Vincent Price. It was like some big four-part crossover thing. Um, <laughs> and so like the cover came about for that and I did that. And then um, 
did an Evil Dead Vampirella cover and then a couple of Elvira covers, um, all with Dave, um, who uh, we kind of met through another mentoring program thing that I do um, with uh, Ryan Stegman and some others where we just have like this group chat where we'll, we'll bring some young creators around that we're kind of seeing come along and kind of help them out with um, whatever they're struggling with and um, also kind of get some of their sort of youthful energy for comics for like veterans to kind of feed off of like oh yeah that's super exciting you're doing things different um, whether it's how they approach inking or coloring or how they draw um, as uh, veteran, I can still learn from those guys and pick up little bits of information uh, that they're kind of putting out there, like showing me some new artists I'd never heard of, like, um, oh, what's, what's his name? Um, the Luther Strode guy, why am I blanking on his name? Um, James, not, not James Heron, he's also very good, but um, it'll come to me when we're, when we're not on the chat. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyway um, just random artists that kind of come up that are new that are doing something slightly different like I'm always kind of uh, pushing Justin stuff out there to, to the same group um, just to kind of get some inspiration for them every now and then um, and in that process um, going back to Substack and all these new creators is like I think People are going to figure out a new way to publish books, whether it's in print, whether it's online, whether it's a combination of both. It feels like there's a way to be very successful in comics while not necessarily following the exact plan everyone else has followed. Um, and I think that provides more opportunity for new creators or creators who have built a name for themselves over time that want to use that for their own creations. Um, and I just like the idea of having multiple options and variety. Uh, that's part of why I've always kind of worked for Marvel and DC. They both treated me very well. Um, but overall, I kind of like to work with both to know how things are going in the industry overall, not just sort of a monoculture of what I think is going on. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you mentioned also uh, outrage. And I know there's a Kickstarter for yeah. that, right? Yeah, I think that actually, as you and I are talking, I think that wraps up today. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and that was through Rocket Ship, which is another um, company that started fairly recently that kind of spun out of the group I worked with at Webtoon. Uh, the editor, Tom, who brought us to Webtoon, started Rocket Ship. And they kind of have a, like a library edition model. So all the books are like these really nice hardback oversized printed books. Um, and they only do them through Kickstarter. And uh, so it's very limited. I think like like 500 backers for the book, but uh, they're going to get a really nice product in the end. And uh, I just like the way they, they're presenting. It's completely different than what everyone else is doing. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, these are, uh, these are all projects that as I was uh, looking into all these things, I was like, I need to go and check these out because I like all the creators yeah. that are involved in them. Like Saladin's work on... Um, on the Miles Morales Spider-Man, and uh, uh, I know he's done Miss Marvel, and I've read a few yep. issues of that. Uh, so you know, I'm already you know a big fan of his work. 
uh, and then Outrage, you know, Fabian wrote that, uh, Fabian Echeza, <laughs> Deadpool co-creator. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> uh, anything that, uh, that uh, there's, I've gone from this thing where like when we first met, I used to just kind of follow books because I like the characters and I've kind of like mm -hmm. shifted to where I follow different creators now too. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty common sort of transition for um, comics fans in general, but like, especially if you're you're kind of a lit person which i know you are um you you start out as a fan of the character then you figure out that that character was created by somebody and you like their voice and you follow them to the next thing and you may not always like the voice they provide for every character um but it does kind of uh, show you a path where it's like you know, Mark Millar is good at a particular type of story and Bendis is good at a particular type of story. And so there's a lot of people who will say, I don't like this creator because they did this to this one particular character and I don't like that. Um, but that was just their voice applied to that character. It wasn't their voice applied to an opposing character. Like with Fabian doing Deadpool, he's, he's very funny. He's very acerbic and very... Um, critical in the things that he says and the way they're funny like, um and that that will appeal to a certain person whereas if he was doing the same kind of vibe on batman you, you'd be really annoyed um and i think that's the key is finding that perfect crossroads of this creator does this one thing well and then they hit this creation this character that is the perfect sort of mouthpiece for that and it kind of mushrooms out and do an even bigger better thing um, and that's not something I, I think you observe as like a 12 to even like 24, 25 year old. But as you sort of get a little older and you start to see things from a bigger perspective, um, you'll pick up on those quite a bit more. Um, I've still got buddies who are my age that are like, I buy my Spider-Man book every week and it's the thing I like and I would like the Spider-Man. And they don't care who's writing it. They don't care who's drawing it. They like Spider-Man and that's just who they are. Um, and that's totally okay. Um, I just, I do think that like some people come at it with a critical mind and they start to pick that apart and figure out what it is that's good and bad about each thing. Um, and then they try and find the projects with that character creator that they might not have been aware of before. They can go back to in history that, that are really special. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got like scenarios where now that, um, I get more in the habit of following different creators. I'll try out a character that I've never really followed a lot before. And I'll end up going back and discovering even more creators that I like because I ended up liking one creator's take on that character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the best one for me was um, like John Arcudi. I always kind of liked his Hellboy stuff uh, when he was with um, doing that with Mike Mignola, like BPRD and stuff. I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And I'm going to check out some of his other work. And then I read his Doom Patrol stuff. And that's probably one of my favorite comics ever. Um, him and Tanning Huat, who's another artist that like on other projects, you may be like, uh, he's a little too weird because his stuff is fairly abstract and it's got like a lot of weird shapes and, and all this like, there's a lot of movement to it. Um, but on that book, it was two creators who were doing exactly the right thing at the right time for me um, that I just love that project. And like, you might pick it up and be like, I, I don't get it. I don't know why he likes this so much. 
Um, but for me, it was the crossroads of like Tan's kind of weird, abstract, slightly uncomfortable drawings where like uh, everyone just seems like they're tense and not in like a gritting your teeth sort of way, but in like a uncomfortable with who I am way. And that's what's perfect for Doom Patrol. And then John Arcudi's voice applied to that with all the characters uh, kind of reinforces that too. It was like all these characters who weren't intended to be superheroes and weren't intended to have these powers or look this way or feel this way, whatever the case may be. Uh, he was really good at kind of tapping into that insecurity in the character. And then when you just lay those two things over each other, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of had that with, um, so I, I had read Tom King's Batman mm-hmm. and I like, I really enjoyed that. And I went back uh, after that when I found out that he had done a volume of Mr. Miracle mm-hmm. and I bought that. Yeah. And like, I had never really been into the whole new gods thing. Cause I've just always been kind of iffy on like cosmic stuff for both companies. Cause it's just so mm-hmm. much that drops so much lore on you at one time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. because of that, like I enjoyed that so much that I ended up going back and actually buying like the Kirby, like fourth world omnibus, uh, because mm-hmm. that Tom King run on Mr. Miracle made me appreciate those characters that much more. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Let's talk about some of your, your current projects. So, okay. um, for the last couple of years, you've been doing the symbiote Spider-Man miniseries. Uh, there's been yep. what, like four or five of those now. Yeah, four total. I think they're going to do a fifth one. Uh, I'm not going to be doing that one, though. Um, we have another project coming up that we're going to work on instead. Um, I really enjoyed that. Like That was a lot of fun to get to work on um, Spider-Man for one, but to kind of do it right in the era when I first started buying comics. Like The Black Suit Spider-Man stuff was kind of two years before me, but I did read it all pretty much in middle school, and that, that's kind of um solidified for me the the spider verse like those were the characters that were the spider-man characters um and and so it was kind of neat to come back to those and tell stories from that time period where you don't have cell phones you don't have all this modern technology that you can use that you you rely on kind of on a daily basis you take all that stuff out of the story and suddenly certain things that would be super easy to solve in that world become infinitely more difficult um, which I think helps from a story perspective and makes it a lot of fun. Um, There's also kind of neat to to play around in that world by making different versions of characters that would eventually come to pass because of the whole Marvel 616 rule of like anything you do in the past can't affect the current future timeline or whatever. So it has to be divergent. So it can't be, you know, J. Jonah Jameson does this thing in the, in the current modern storyline. Well, it can't be J. Jonah Jameson, or if it is him, it has to end differently. So everything's kind of a yes and story, like in comedy, where you're like you respond to something you're like yes, and I will escalate this, or I will change it, and <laughs> you have to deal with that. Um, that made it really fun to do because you didn't really know exactly where Peter was going to go with anything, other than at the beginning he would set out and say, "I'm going to I'm going to deal with these characters." So we knew which characters were coming. We didn't know what's going to happen to them. Um, and this, that just kind of made it made it interesting without any real stakes. Like there wasn't like if we screwed this up, it wasn't going to change anything in the modern comics. And I kind of enjoyed that. 
Um, and then been working on the Batman Big B thing for a while. Um, we started that probably a year and a half ago. Um, that was that was a black label book that got greenlit, and then there were editorial changes, and then there was COVID, and there's more editorial changes. So it just kind of like kind of kept getting put on pause, and um, kind of allowed me to keep up with some other projects. But um, I'm super excited about it because like this is one of those things that um, as a fan of fables and as a fan of Batman, it was awesome to get to do. Um, and being that it's a black label book, there's a little bit more freedom to, to do things with the characters that may or may not be canon um, and uh, get to create new characters, get to address characters from the fables verse and the Batman universe that probably never would otherwise cross over. Uh, just been a good experience overall. Um, and getting to work with Brian Lovell on that, who is a fairly new penciler, um, but he was also an inker for a long time as well. Um, we get to have a fairly collaborative process because the way I ink is not the way he would ink at all. Um, but collectively, we create a different third artist. Like if you look at his commissions online, you look at my stuff, and then you look at what we do together none of those are exactly the same. We've created a third thing. And uh, it's, to me, that's the perfect example of how comic book creation should work as an art team. Yeah, and um, between Symbiote, Spider-Man and Batman, has that kind of made life a little bit easier for you as an inker because there's so much black in their uh, color <laughs> schemes? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'd much rather work on a black suit Spider-Man than like, a super webby Spider-Man for sure. Like if you get into like the <laughs> Scarlet Spider stuff where the webbing is all kind of crazy and like the thing that people don't really understand about Spider-Man's webbing is if you do it wrong, you kind of invert the 3D effect and then it makes everything flat and like becomes 2D objects. And it's very easy to make it static. Um, and so that's one of the biggest tricks with doing Spider-Man in general. Um, so having the black suit is pretty much just this really cool logo, some eyes, you know. It makes it makes it much easier on the overall design aspect for sure and you can do some really cool graphic stuff with the, the silhouette yeah and with uh with batman with his cape i'm sure that that uh comes into play a lot too yeah you know although on batman we're rendering the crap out of it so it's not like it saves me time <laughs> <laughs> i've had you uh for i think about 50 minutes now so uh I don't want to take up too much more of your time, uh, sure. but uh, is there anything else you wanted to cover? Uh, I think that's pretty much it. It's been been good to chat with you. Um, I'd tell people to you know check out Outrage. It's still on Webtoon. Um, look on Substack for Terror War when it's coming out. I think the first chapter goes out December 1st. I'm not 100% on that. We haven't nailed down anything yet. Um, we're working ahead on that a little bit. Um, cause that'll be basically a monthly chapter thing where like 10 issue, 10 pages come out each month. Um, yeah. And then the last couple issues of Symbiote Spider-Man will be coming out between now and Christmas and same for Batman. All right. Yeah. And then, uh, I'll hit you up next time I'm in Kentucky. Uh, cause I think we're overdue for shawarma. <laughs> well, I found a couple more good places. Uh, I moved back to the highlands and, uh, now there's a couple of new spots. So right on. Yeah. We'll have to hit a I'll few of those places up. All right. CJ. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you.